The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelonCPA.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highechelloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, High Echelon, and our new sponsor, Elemental Altitude. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor and I'm a father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA and a mom to three girls. 
Hey, my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father to three college students, the husband to a beautiful wife, an engineer, and I am not photogenic in race video, uh, race photo. <laughs> I don't then, know that I know anybody that's ever actually looked through thousands of every single race <laughs> picture. I think honestly, like, what were you doing? What, well, he was what? doing research. He was doing research for the podcast, which I appreciate. So Eric spent some time over the course of the last few days, not only looking at all the photos of himself from the Mountain Mist 50K, but looking at all the photos of everybody else. And Eric, according to your research, how many of the 434 starters were wearing Saucony endorphin edges? Three. <laughs> so we I can didn't say see that one pair. 100% of the people wearing Saucony endorphin edge at the Mountain Mist 50K are on this podcast. And, and to be clear, I do want to be clear about this. I did not look at all of those photos because I am of some type of voyeur and I wanted to know like, what everybody was doing. It's because there was no way to just look at photos of you. So you kind of had to right, search right. through the photos. Now, most of the groupings, like once you saw yourself, you weren't going to see yourself again, but there were some random photos in there. And I also mm -hmm. wanted to see the pictures of you and Michelle. So right. I kind of, we, right. I kind of got the expanse, right. but right. then I turned it into a research project and right, right, nobody right. else was wearing those shoes. Well, I, I will say that, that and I texted this to y'all. I would say of all the hundreds of photos that have been taken of me while running over the course of a 30 year running career, less than 5% are photos that I would consider to be good photos. And there are some that are horrendously bad. Strangely enough, the London Marathon had lots of good photos. And I don't know if they were objectively good photos or if I just had a really good race that day. And so everything looks good to me because it was such a positive experience overall, but I'm not sure. Anyway, back to your research project though. What did you actually see a lot of? Uh, tons of hokas. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure of which hoka they were. They they had a lot of mud on them, but so, clearly hokas. I think every single person from Huntsville runs in a hoka speed goat. That's my conclusion. <laughs> Probably. It's um, a popular shoe. Uh, how are we feeling three days after the race here? I guess, well, we've had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We're recording here on Wednesday night. So really four full days of recovery here that we've all had. Michelle, how are you feeling? You sore still? You tired? What, what What's the status? My legs feel miraculously fine, which is really strange. It makes me wonder if something is just so wrong that I just don't feel it. Because <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't usually go downstairs, you know, within 72 hours, perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to carry a lot of soreness and I do have an appointment on Thursday tomorrow for some body work. Um, but I was definitely expecting to go into that much more beaten up than I feel right now. But I would say coming off this race, the problem is not, um, like the physical recovery as much as it is. I mean, maybe this is a little physical, but I'm just exhausted. Right. Like I think the, um, outlay of, like emotional buildup and physical buildup. And I think there's always this part after a goal race where I take seven to 10 days off, but in doing so, it's a matter of getting all these other little pieces in my life that, you know, just uh, stayed afloat, getting them back to a place where like my head is really above water. Um, so that's what the last few days have been like for me, but I am, I am like bloody exhausted. Yeah. I'm just so tired. Yeah. So I, I feel you on that. I'm something similar. I, I was not as sore the night after the race as I was after the Houston marathon a couple of weeks prior, but then the next day I felt similar.
Tuesday, yesterday, I was still actually feeling pretty sore. And I was like, this is kind of sticking around. And then strangely enough, I, I went ahead and did like some recovery workouts last night. And then I did my regular Wednesday morning group workout this morning. And actually, for as much soreness as I had 24 hours ago, I'm actually feeling pretty good now. Like, I, I think most of my soreness is gone. I'll run tomorrow morning. And we'll see how that feels. But um, but yeah, I'm feeling actually pretty good now. Like you, though, I'm just feeling super tired. Um, like, even though I've been sleeping fairly well, I feel as if I need a nap throughout the course of the day. Uh, I can't get enough caffeine in order to kind of get me going. Um, I think it was just kind of this big energy outlay uh, that that has left me feeling a little bit depleted here. Um, but hopefully that'll pass over the course of the next couple of days as well. Eric, what about you, man? I felt like that for like the past five years. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel like that now, but hey, it's nothing new. <laughs> that's, that's just normal. Yeah, no, I... So I was concerned about running because of of my hamstring, the pain I had in my hamstring. So I, I said, I'll take at least three or four days off. And today would have been four days. But as we as we spoke about, don't want to get into it in too, too much detail. I went to the physical therapist this morning and he's, he, he basically uh, allayed my fears about my hamstring. Mm -hmm. And I felt pretty good this afternoon. So I went for an eight mile run. Uh, the lower portions of my quads are a little like close to my knees were a little sore, but other than that, I, I felt pretty good. Good. I, you know, I, I, I'm still kind of floored that my calves, usually my calves are really, uh, really tight and sore. My Achilles is really tight because of my calves. And there's a lot of pain there. And usually my feet hurt a lot more and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm attributing it to the shoes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What is the rush back to this running thing, this biking thing? Why Why are you guys, why can't well, I, you just chill my, for a few days? I, I, okay, first of all, I did chill for a couple of days. I took Sunday entirely off, took Monday entirely off. I did Tuesday as, as very much a, a recovery day. Um, but for me, there's a little bit of a rush back because I have the Austin Marathon two weeks from Sunday. So remember, Mountain Mist was only step two in the three-step, five-week plan of ridiculousness that is george's january and february of 2023 and so i do have to actually kind of turn it back around here fairly quickly after austin i plan to like take some proper time down such as as you're doing right now michelle um but but yeah that's definitely i i feel an impetus to try and get back on the road and start putting in a few more miles and making sure nothing's injured and and continue training because i have this marathon looming only what 17 days away eric you <laughs> what are you like what's the rush eight I miles enjoy, today i enjoy this shit this is what <laughs> i do it was driving me crazy for three days not to run and mm -hmm. i and you know today came up and i was like you know what uh, my theory for the last three days was instead of running i'm going to eat so i figured i should probably start the running thing up again at some point and it worked out so i'm i'm actually pretty happy about it too very good that's very really good. amazing i need a whole um i need like time off and i need some like i need a new outfit maybe a new pair of shoes i need all sorts of <laughs> oh, external motivational the, the, factors there is nothing wrong out. with that i but it, michelle i need that too i need that too um and i'll get that after austin i'll get that even more after strolling gym and so i i definitely need that too 
All right, let's talk about our new sponsor, Elemental Altitude. I'm excited about this one. Eric's excited about this one. Michelle, I know you're excited about this one uh, for sure. Um, But Elemental Altitude, as you heard us say during the ad copy at the beginning, uh, is a high altitude training center here in the Atlanta area. Um, And it's a place that I actually went three times in my buildup towards the London Marathon. And so there's a room and they have treadmills and they have bikes set up in that room and and uh, they can turn the room all the way up to 24,000 feet um, and and you can train as if you were at 24,000 feet, um, which is pretty cool. And then in addition, they have all these other tests that you can do as a part of it as well. Um, Chuck, who is one of the owners and founders, has actually been adding more and more tests like sweat tests and uh, metabolic tests and and, um, all sorts of other things over the course of the last short while here. But um, we're going to bring him on the podcast here over the course of the next couple of months. Michelle and I are going to go over there and do a workout and actually record a a a podcast from Elemental Altitude about the workout itself and how it goes and all that sort of thing. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Michelle, are you excited about this? Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I mean, I have a lot of stuff in the back of my mind that I want to do. And a lot of it's at altitude. And um, I'm out there once or twice a year. And I know that I really struggle at about 8,000 feet. Um, and some of the stuff that I want to run goes up quite a bit higher than that. So I also think that there's plenty of science that shows any any time at altitude, any you know one workout a week in an altitude room, um, it's all beneficial. So to have them, you know, as a podcast sponsor and to just get to go there and learn more about them as a business and you know about how training at altitude uh, leads to better, you know, athletic performance. I'm pretty excited that there's signed on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. <laughs> In my text thread with my wife, my daughter and Carrington, one of my runners, I got this message from my, from Melissa today, my wife, here's our answer people. And they sponsor the podcast. We can stay at Eric's parents for free. And it is a altitude training from elemental altitude training center link in my text box with Melissa, Grace and Carrington. I wonder where they got that information. So they probably got it from the podcast Facebook page where I posted the announcement today here on the seventh anniversary a few of the hours podcast. Ago, Eric. You know, so, yes, um, but no, it's it's the only it's the only high altitude training center in the southeast. The closest one to Atlanta outside of this one is in like Chicago or something. Um, and so it's not only a, a cool facility where you can definitely build more red blood cells, but it's also a very unique facility. Um, it's not something that that a lot of people have access to. So yeah, by all means, send your whole crew down here, Eric, and they can stay at your parents' house for free and they can spend all week training at elemental altitude. That sounds like a great plan. We could do the Michigan there all together. I think that's great. I've done a Michigan there before. (laughs) (laughs) I think that sounds super fun. Eric is not amused. So they have three treadmills in in the room? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah, I one for each of us. Yeah, oh, perfect. okay. So we could all run our own pace for the mm-hmm. Michigan. I exactly. think that'd be really cool. I think so too. That will be a great place for us to prepare for whatever the next big target race is for our podcast trio. Um, I'm looking forward to that race, whatever it happens to be. 
All right, speaking of new things and announcements here, we finally settled on a book of the quarter, um, which I'm excited about as well. And uh, thanks to one of our listeners for reaching out and suggesting a book of the quarter. She had heard it reviewed on a podcast um, uh, and uh, and it sounded pretty cool. It's called Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession. Um, it actually comes out on February 2nd. Um, and so by the time the podcast is released, it will be it will be out. I pre-ordered it, so it'll be arriving at my house tomorrow. Um, but it's by a woman named Natalia Melman Petrozella. Um, and it's basically about the culture of exercise um, and fitness in the United States. Um, and it takes uh, a look at uh, not only the historical and cultural growth of the so-called fit nation, but also about the contradictions that are within it um, and even the social justice implications of it. And so I think that that it's kind of in the same vein as uh, both Let's Get Physical by Danielle Friedman and Running Wild Black by uh, Alice and Mariella Desir uh, that we've read over the course of the past year and that we all took a lot from. Um, and so I, I look forward to this book a lot. So again, uh, the name of the book is Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession by Natalia Melman Petrozella. Um, and I encourage all of you to join with us in reading it here. So we're already one month into the quarter. Um, and so we'll review this like in early to mid-April um, after we all read it here in January, February, and March. I remember on the uh, New Year's Resolution podcast, Eric, you said that one of your resolutions was to read all the books of the quarter. So there you go, man. <laughs> going to start strong. <laughs> so we're going to start strong. I think this will be good. I'm excited about this one. I look forward to it. All right. Michelle, you didn't do strength work this week, right? <laughs> okay. I don't know yes. what you guys yes. don't understand, but Yet. I blow dried my hair straight on Sunday. I'm not going to wash it. I'm not going to work out. I'm right. going to sleep till 5 a.m. I'm not doing great. anything. Nothing. No strength work. No ab work. No nothing. Awesome. I love it. I'm going to sleep till 5 a.m. <laughs> what, what is that? It means that I can just wake up at a normal time, get up and get in like a nice a normal, is so time. normal. <laughs> When you go to bed, when I go to bed, it's that's amazing. All right. Fair point. Fair point. Um, no, we do understand that, actually. But but I want to keep the whole uh, strength work check in going here. And I almost forgot here at the outset. So so. for OK, sure. well, you know something, I'll be back on board next week. All right. All right. It's on the but, but I'm serious. I, I, I need like I'm not I'm not motivated I'm serious right too, now. man. Take it. I, I, I think that's great. I want you to take it. I was actually thinking about going to Brookhaven tomorrow, but just for Starbucks. All right. I think that's a fine idea. Like. I can't ever stay for the Starbucks because I have to get home to make my kids lunches and get them up and out of school. Mm -hmm. But if I do that at 630, then I could just go for coffee and be social, which is also very strange for me. But I'm I'm telling you, this is I'm not doing any running or strength or anything this week. I'm on board. I think it's great. Um, all right. Uh, one other kind of quick retcon here. Um, on the day that we released our last podcast talking about Strava and all of their disclarity when it comes to their pricing and that sort of thing on that very day they released their pricing plans um, and so for those of us in the united states it's going to be 79.99 a year and 11.99 a month uh moving forward at least until they change their mind wait um, <laughs> i have to pay 11.99 a month on top of the 60 dollars that or. i paid it's an uh, or not an and i don't think so uh, oh, oh okay yeah or yeah 
Um, and so, so yeah, I guess that when mine renews in September, that it will renew at that new price. That's what I'm presuming here. But um, but that's not going to be until September. So I guess that we'll see. Um, and hopefully the price doesn't change between now and next September. Mm -hmm. So I need to check the chat GPT response I got from Strava. <laughs> <laughs> because, requested... because Michelle actually said, is a bot going to respond to Eric's email? And did a bot respond did. to your email? Yeah, so the the so I we told the podcast I was going to do this, and I haven't actually brought this back up on the podcast. So I sent a kindly worded email saying, "Don't understand why I paid seventy nine ninety nine when my good friend who signed up for uh, Strava Premium on the same day only paid fifty nine ninety nine. I'd like my twenty dollars back." I got this response. Here are a few articles that might help you solve your problem while you wait. <laughs> you know, and it's it's all this like. You know, canceling your subscription. You know, what what are the what why when do the prices go into effect? Then there was a whole thing about how you subscribe. So I replied back and I said, no, like this is not helpful. Please, you know, answer my original question. I, I literally said, no, I am not writing to cancel my subscription. And um, chap responded um, something about canceling my subscription again, and I said. Uh, thank you for your reply. However, this is an insulting response that indicates you, Strava, did not read my request. And then I described <laughs> the whole thing again. Um, and then I got another, you know, response. Hello, Eric. Thank you for your continued time. This is 100% chat GPT response here. I'm seeing that your su subscription was created on December 31st, 2022. During this time, we were running a promotion that provided a 25% discount. There's a possibility that your fellow runner may have subscribed using that promotion. This is why they received a discount. Mm -hmm. So what is my question now? How did I not get the 25% discount that she got if six we were doing it on the same day and they were running a promotion? Like six minutes earlier, right? <laughs> it's just... So chap GPT and I are going to have some more conversations, more to come. So, so ultimately it was unresolved then. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to find your $20, Eric, but. But you keep trying, Eric. Be sure to keep us posted on how that turns out, buddy. Um, all right. Um, Michelle, did you see the story about uh, pregnant runners at the Boston Marathon now being able to defer? I mean, I saw Fiona English put up, was it a reel? I, I don't even know the no, terminology. No, it was, it was an Instagram post, yeah. An Instagram post, you know, just that there's no deferral uh, policy, Boston Marathon for, for pregnant mothers. And holy goodness me, did the BAA jump on that? <laughs> I think we had a policy within 36 hours in a we press did. conference, not a press yeah. conference, but a public release. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Fiona English is a runner from the UK uh, who worked for years and years and years to qualify for the Boston Marathon, finally did it last year at the Paris Marathon. She ran 327, uh, and she was slated to run it uh, this year in 2023. Um, but after she signed up, uh, she got pregnant, um, and her baby is due two days before the Boston Marathon. So she wrote to the Boston Marathon and said, hey, I bought registration insurance uh, can I get a, uh, a refund and defer? Um, and and she was told that she couldn't get a refund and that she couldn't defer. And so she wrote an open letter on Instagram, um, as uh, as Michelle mentioned, uh, that got a lot of attention. 
um, that basically said, hey, I appreciate the BAA has been trying to be more and more and more inclusive over the course of the past 40 to 50 years. Um, uh, this seems like something else that you all need to do. Um, and, and like you said, very quickly, um, within, within 12 hours, the BAA had said, okay, we were wrong not to refund your money. Uh, and so they gave, said that she was going to get money back. And then within about another 24 hours, uh, they came back and said, okay, we've changed our policy. Uh, they released something that said any athlete who is a registered entrant in the BAA event, uh, and is or becomes pregnant prior to race day and chooses not to participate due to such circumstances will be eligible to receive a deferred entry into one of the next two subsequent future races. The new pregnancy and postpartum deferment policy is effective immediately and includes athletes who are entered in the Boston Marathon by way of qualifying time or invitational in entry. So good policy change. Frankly, one that I'm surprised they didn't have in place already. <laughs> what do you uh, policy change aside? I mean, I agree it's a good policy change, but there's something about this that feels like I'm sure so many people have approached them or tried this before, but it just feels like the time is right, right? Yeah. Like this is like, you can utilize these social platforms mm -hmm. in a way to really affect change. And for all the people that might've tried, you know, what she tried before, like it didn't work. Society was at a different place. Mm -hmm. Like this worked instantly. So yeah. George, yeah. like this feels like a topic for one of your college classes, right? Maybe. Yeah. Why um, now? Why did it work yeah. now? There had to be a confluence of events that led her to be the one who actually made the change, right? Between all the various moments that are converging here in 2023, um, yeah, they acted quickly. I mean, and they, I'll they tell you right that time. I I had a qualifier from 13 for 14, but I had Alana in May 2014, mm -hmm. and there was no, I wasn't going to Boston nine months pregnant. And there was not, you weren't, you know, if you, I wasn't going to register because I was already pregnant, but there was no way, you know, you couldn't keep, you couldn't defer your qualifier for till 2015. Um, but it's interesting because it doesn't, I don't feel like, oh, I wish I had had that, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, but I know a lot of women do. So <laughs> the policies, it's better now, obviously, but it's just, it's a little bit shocking to me sometimes how people push and push and push and nothing changes. And then just, you know, a random post or a random person can really make an organization do like a 180 that just does not deviate from their norm almost ever. Right. Mm -hmm. But, <laughs> um, but, but I would argue that all of those people pushing, 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 pushing made the path made it possible for, for Fiona to... English to walk. Yeah. yeah. That, that all of those pushings made a difference over time that, that sure. if she would have been coming out of nowhere with this, um, then, then they might've said, oh, well, this is a good point. That's something we should consider over the course of the next year. Um, but rather because yeah, it was just so fast. Yeah, no, that, 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 that row had been plowed by all the people who came before her. Um, but yeah, again, ultimately the right thing has happened, I think. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, it's good, so you know, Ever since we read Running While Black, I've seen the BAA kind of in a different light. <laughs> yeah, you know? and 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 that that's kind of sticking at the front of my head right now, just because we read that so recently, you know. And so I was really happy to see them fix this so quickly. A huge reason for their reaction and for um, like how quickly they made the change does have to do with what Allison said in Running While Black about the BAA itself and inclusiveness. Sure. I think so too. I think so too. That, that, that 
And it's not necessarily her that brought it to their attention, but she was among the people who brought it to their attention that that, that level of exclusivity that they're known for is maybe not what should be their future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. There is a, a few other pieces of news we'll mention real quickly here, and then we'll talk about this one article that I that I, I read recently. Um, uh, have either one of you ever done a park run? No. I've always wanted to do a park run. I was actually trying to figure out if it was possible for me to do a park run in London immediately prior to the London Marathon, and and all the park runs are just too far away from my hotel, so I would have had to take an Uber to actually go do them. But they're basically low-key 5K runs that happen in parks on Saturday mornings all around the world. Um, and, uh, I, I, have always wanted to do them, but the world record for the women's park run was actually broken three times last year. Um, and on the last day of the year on new year's Eve, uh, a woman from, uh, from <coughs> Australia named Izzy Bat Doyle ran 1525, um, at a, at a park run, which kind of blows my mind just a little bit. Um, and then not to be outdone, there was another Australian woman named Holly Ranson, uh, ran 24 park runs in 24 hours, um, which meant that she would have to finish a 5k and then go to a different park to run the park run there and then go to a different park to run the park run there and, and literally did that for 24 hours, um, uh, totally running 120 kilometers in order to raise funds for a group called the Tumbling Farm, which is a rehab program in South Africa's Mount Lofty Ranges. Um, so pretty cool there as well. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to Europe in early March. Maybe I'll try and get into a park run on the Saturday that I'm there. Hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be able to actually do that. You know, I thought this was totally stupid until you mentioned the lady doing the 24 runs at 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I'm going to go run a 5K at a park. <laughs> there, no, that last part, that was pretty cool. Um, um, and then there was a guy um named jack thompson who is also from australia i don't know why we're talking about so many australian endurance athletes here i guess because it's summer there and there's a lot going on there um but uh he (laughs) rode 52 everest last year he everested 52 times on his bike last year once per week um he everested and he finished the year by climbing over 1 million vertical meters eric (laughs) <laughs> is eric doing math so yeah, yeah I, I, eric might be doing a little bit of math here but yeah one million vertical meters i want to know that in feet it's about mm. three million feet i mean mm. that's insane yeah yeah I mean, it's over three million feet and then i was going to say like how many feet per like i was going to do some math of like how fast do you have to actually climb right to do it, that? just to be or, or how, mu- how much do you actually have to do every single day in order to be able to get that done exactly that that that, that is that is an obscene amount of climbing that he did over the course of the entire year of 2022 um so he also did it uh for charity um, he uh, had three different charities in three different countries, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, one of them was in the United States called Outride. It's an anti-racist cycling organization which partners with schools, community partners, coaches, teams, and cyclists to advance more equitable, inclusive, and healthy futures for youth. Um, another one was called Strong Minds. It's a social enterprise that treats depression in women and adolescents in low-income communities in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and then an Australian one, Kids Helpline. Kids Helpline is Australia's only free, confidential, 24-7 online and phone counseling service for young people aged 5 to 25. So hmm. um, so, so good for him. Um, I've thought about doing one F- Everesting, and then every time I go up, out to Zwift, I'm like, yep, nope, no desire to do this nine times in a row. 
uh, and is this it guy did it, and this guy did, it's it's eight and three quarters or something like that. Okay. Um, and and this guy did it every single week for an entire year. And then on the on the days that he wasn't doing that, he still had to climb like two thousand meters or something like that in order to be able to get a million by the end of the year. Yeah, because powering up Alp de Zwift is an hour's evolution. Yeah. So you're talking an over nine hours of cycling. Yeah. You're talking ten hours of cycling. Yeah. So the 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 record for going up Alp de Zwift um, or for Everesting on Alp de Zwift is is under nine hours. Um, if I were to do it, I'd be looking at a 12 hour day. Sounds really cool until you put it in those terms. <laughs> I know, right? And like I said, I, I think it sounds great until like I'll be riding out to Zwift like Monday or something and I'll be like, yeah, maybe I should do this. And then I'll get literally like to the third turn. I'm like, no way. <laughs> it, it just, it sounds awful. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yeah. Because you slow down to make it not hard because it's just power right. up, right? You can slow down. It's not like it's you're yeah. stuck on the mountain or anything, right? And yeah. it just takes longer. <laughs> it's just a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Last thing I want to talk about is a piece of research that came out um, uh, recently in a journal called the Journal of Strength and Conditioning. Um, uh, it was a piece called Elite Road versus Trail Runners Comparing Economy, Biomechanics, Strength, and Power. Um, and it just seems like something that we should talk about here since, uh, you know, we just finished this big trail race. Um, uh, but there was re research from the University of Lyon took 17 athletes, 10 trail runners, and seven ro road runners. Um, they're all men and they're all part of the French Athletics Federation national team camps. And so they're national level uh, uh road runners and trail runners from France here. Um, and they compared a wide range of different things that they were able to do and not do. Now, their quad and hamstring strength among all the runners was about the same, but the trail runners could generate 23% more torque and 16% more power than the road runners uh, when they tested them doing eight-second all-out sprints on a stationary bike. Um, and so the trail runners were more powerful or more capable of, of producing high-end power. The road runners, they were more efficient. They burned about 6% less energy than the trail runners on a flat treadmill. But if you put that treadmill at 10% hill incline, the two groups actually were about the same efficiency. Um, and so there was no difference in ground contact time, flight time, cadence, leg stiffness, any other biomechanical measures. Um, and then perhaps most interestingly, the roadrunners reported training for a total of 79 hours per month on average, so almost 20 hours a week, including running, cross training, resistance training. The trail runners averaged just 43.6 hours. And so the trail runners, even though they were more powerful and they were training for much longer races, actually trained only about half as much as the roadrunners did. What stands out about that to y'all? So two things, the, the testing mechanisms were, so that running on a treadmill, seven minute mile pace, 10% max grade. Right. That is the road runners bread and butter, mm -hmm. right? So you've eliminated a lot of the variability, but you've also eliminated a lot of what trail running is so you're basically you're kind of pulling the trail runner into the road runners world and then running a test mm -hmm. 
So I think that's one thing that stood out to me. But but even with that, even if they put them on the treadmill, they jacked it up to ten percent. They found that the trail runner was just as efficient as the road runner when it was actually at ten percent. When you do that, you're now bringing more of the how many marathons have a whole lot of like ten percent grades, right, right? Right. So you brought the trail aspect in, and all of a sudden they're they're fairly equal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if sure. if we could develop a treadmill that had like a rocky surface and some dirt, and make the road runners run on that would that also bring them in line with one another on mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. energy usage mm-hmm. so that was the first thing and the second thing cycling i don't know how much experience the athletes had cycling and they didn't really address this and maybe they allowed them to get used to it or whatnot but you can't just sit on a bike and generate power mm-hmm. right seat height and circle circle pedaling and all of that like i don't know like the experience level of these these runners if it was substantially different on the bike so presumably that would be a limiting factor for all of them though and and so even given that the the trail runners were able to produce more power maybe or the trail runners were also mountain bikers Hmm. or gravel bikers and i think there's many 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 more uh, trail runners that do mountain biking and gravel biking, and then there are road road runners who do road cycling. Point taken. Point taken. So I was; th- those were two things that jumped out at me like right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you so like you mentioned the the training time that blew me away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, that was I my understand. big thing. Like, what are the road runners doing for almost double the time that the ultra that the trail runners are doing? I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could say that trail running, you may need more recovery. So, you know, maybe you need more recovery because you're using so many more muscles in so many different ways and varying ways. But I, I can't rationalize that huge difference in training volume. I was surprised by that as well. The, the, I would expect them, I wouldn't expect the trail runners necessarily to run more, um, even though they train for much longer races. Um, the road runners, they maxed out at the marathon um, and trail runners, you're talking about people that that literally run 14, 15, 16 hour races. Right. Um, yeah. And so so I didn't expect necessarily the trail runners to run more, but I would have expected to at least kind of be the same. Um, I was yeah, they're almost double. Time. I mean, yeah. 43 to 79. It's almost double. That yeah. just that does not it's make not a whole lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, I don't get it either. Um, the, the study authors did postulate that maybe the, the mountain runners could be even better than they are if they would just train more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that comment. Um, so, so yeah, Michelle. No, I just, I don't know. I find that, I just, I find that almost impossible to believe. I mean, you can only, you can only run and train so many hours per week and still, you know, maintain like a, an upward trajectory of sorts. True. So for there to be such a variation with you know two groups of runners basically at the highest of their class uh, i don't know i feel like it was just one of a few things that seemed really flawed with the study mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe yeah maybe and 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 maybe frankly the trail runners are getting it right and the road runners are getting it wrong well that yeah. is what that article i mean <laughs> writes it like i mean i, mean, I would may, think may, so. may, maybe the trail runners are hitting the sweet spot 
and and they're hitting 43 and maybe they could do a little bit more training but but they got it about right and and the roadrunners are just running too much they're just doing a lot of 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 garbage but i don't know it's hard to say um tell me this do you feel michelle since you've run on the road a lot more uh than eric has even though i know eric races on the road a lot as well um do you feel as if it you do need to be more powerful and you have to generate more power when you're actually running on the trails because i do feel that way yeah for sure like jumping from rock to rock and and taking big steps up and things like that more power more agility and just less overall speed Mm -hmm. um for sure i mean the some of those trails they just you know i think sometimes there's like not a bounce to the asphalt but especially with some of the super shoes like you can get a big energy return yeah running fast running hard on asphalt when you're out there on some of those trails you're not getting that yeah. <laughs> you know and to go the distance to go the duration that that we've been going i mean if that's not power what is that right right i you know i've ridden my bike a whole lot more over the course of the last few months and I've raced a lot more on Zwift. And so I've like had to hit higher powers and I've had to like try and try and, and, and go much deeper than I normally would over the course of the past couple of months. And I, I think that's benefited my trail running. I think that, that I've, I've felt that. I think I felt it this past Sunday. I think I felt it in the two trail races that you and I did Michelle in, in December. Well, yeah, the, the power piece, I think there's two aspects. The first is, you know, I was just explaining to somebody why you run hills, you know, what's so special about hills. And, you know, part of it is getting used to running hills, but part of it is power. It's physics. It's if you're going to run up a hill, you actually have to pull yourself up the hill. So it's like going up a ladder versus going along, you know, straight ground. So you're going to develop more power. So I can see how trail runners who do much more vert, probably that's, that would be a great thing to have in here. Like, average vert per week between the two, you know, so you're going to need more power to do that because you're actually lifting your body in the air, not just Mm -hmm. carrying it over flat ground or moderately hilly ground. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, um, and this is related to the downhill part of vert. um, What I have found through my strength training, you know, I've, I've made a big point of doing a lot more squat work that building a little bit of muscle in your quads protects them for these long uh you know mountain type races Mm. because you're going to damage them more so Mm. if you have a more toned a little bit more volume i think in those muscles they last longer Mm. and going downhill the braking is going to develop that but also things like squats so maybe in the training just to survive a mountain race you're going to have a larger leg muscle Mm-hmm. or more more muscle mass which should de- develop more power mm-hmm. i think one other thing though I, I would like to see the power to weight differentials because he did and maybe that's what they measured power to weight not power just to see if there was a higher power to weight ratio for mm-hmm. them the trail runners as opposed to simply saying they could generate more power sure sure all, all good questions. Yeah, it felt like an incomplete study. I agree with you. And the more we've talked about it, the more it feels that way, that there, there's other questions they didn't address or didn't answer. And there's only seven people or 17 people, and they were all men for that matter. And so, so, so yeah, I do think that there were some other things, but I, 
just I've, I've thought a lot over the course of the last short while here. Um, and then, of course, I happen across this study that talks about the differences between trail and road running. So, um, all right, y'all, let's wrap it up. Um, I enjoyed spending time with you, as always, and talking about our new book of the quarter, our new sponsor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I look forward to next time. Michelle, thanks for being here. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of George and Eric this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> Eric, thanks for being here, man. I typically enjoy being here, but that was a real downer to end this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I feel I, I feel pretty bad right now, Michelle. I think I'm going to go crying to my pillow. All right, well, you enjoy that. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, you enjoy that. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at ITL Coaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them on Instagram at ITL Coaching. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at Elemental Altitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Elemental Altitude. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelloncpa.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.